Well, things are calmer in the UK today because the Prime Minister, now rather unpopular as people worry about their mortgages, she has agreed to get the numbers to support their budget that they gave last week. But will they make sense? Possibly not, so the volatility isn't over yet. Yields continue to rise everywhere as the Fed and the ECB in particular continue with their hawkish tilt. And that's hit US stocks today. Big falls, especially Microsoft, down again today. Uh, We'll look at yesterday's Australian monthly CPI numbers, plus European CPI later today. We've already had the German number, and it wasn't good. It's Friday, the 30th of September, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is actually down a bit today, losing 0.4% on the DXY, perhaps because the pound has regained some ground. It's up 1.8% today at $1.1080, but before the turmoil last week, it was at $1.1260, so it's still down 1.8% based on the experience. More significantly, 10-year gilt yields aren't giving anything away, up another 13 basis points, up to 4.14%, which is about 65 basis points higher than it was pre the mini-budget last Friday, and two years at 4 0.35% or 85 basis points higher. But of course, yields are rising everywhere, not quite as much as the UK. But uh, today, US 10-year yields are up two basis points to 3.75. German 10-year bunds up six to 2.17%. It's just that the UK has now joined the four percenters. Greece on 4.9%, Italy on 4.6%, the UK on 4.1% and rising. Aussie 10 years yesterday, uh, the yields fell down 16 basis points to 3.93% and only a couple of basis points above that on futures overnight. Currency-wise, the euro is up 0.7%. The Aussie dollar has fallen 0.4% to below 65 US cents because of all that risk in the air, which is why we're seeing US stocks, which had a good day yesterday. Uh, they've all been wiped out today. A 2.8% drop in the Nasdaq, even with a last-minute rally. A 2.1% slide on the S&P 500. A 1.5% drop in the Dow. Apple lost nearly 5% today after the news earlier in the week about poor demand for the iPhone, the new iPhone. Today, they lost a key member of their team, the procurement uh, head, for some uh, some sort of work misdemeanor. Uh, big falls in Europe too, 1.7% off the Eurostox 50 and the DAX, and a 1.8% fall in the FTSE 100. Oil prices are down as well, 0.8% off Brent, uh, below $80, $89 now, and a 0.8% drop in WTI. So to dissect all of that, with the precision of a skilled surgeon, although I'm not sure he's had his coffee yet, so his hand might still be a bit shaky. It's uh, Tapper Strickland from NAB in Sydney. So let's start in the UK. Is it all over bar the shouting now? Crisis averted? Can we forget about that now? Uh, good morning, Phil. I think we're far from over here, and uh, you should just r- reflect on the moves that we have seen over the past week in terms of UK gilt yields and also in terms of the currency itself. And I guess the one factor providing a little bit of support for sentiment overnight was the Office of Budget Responsibility in the UK saying it will publish its first iteration of its fiscal forecast on October 7. Um, so that's quite important for, for two reasons. Uh, the government had chosen not to get the OBR to cost its mini budget. Um, so that did uh, create a lot of tension within markets. Um, so that is a positive sign. And also that costing will be available before the Bank of England meets on the 3rd of November and also before the government fully finalises that that mini budget as well. Right. But what if those numbers don't stack up? Then we, you know, then we were in, there's got to be a reason why they didn't provide the numbers in the first place. If the numbers don't stack up, then presumably, I mean, things could get worse, couldn't they? Oh, de- definitely. And there's also a political dimension here. And so there is always a possibility that this these details get tweaked, although Prime Minister Truss, when she was on radio in London early this morning, uh, 
didn't suggest that was going to happen. But just worth noting, uh, the latest YouGov poll puts Labor 33 points ahead of the Tory party. Yeah. Um, so it does suggest Massive. a very big gap is opening up there. But unfortunately, the next election is not until 2024. So uh, it's still unclear exactly how much political pressure there will be if uh, the election is still quite far away. Yeah, well, something could happen, couldn't it? She could be the shortest prime minister Britain's ever had, I, I suspect. Anyway, we'll see how that plays out. Tell me though about the uh, the movement in yield. So I understand why we'd see uh, movement at the, the, the front end because of that concern about uh, faster inflation hitting. And I can understand in, in the middle. But the but the 30-year yields that uh, shot up so much, which is where the, the Bank of England had to intervene, why was that hit so hard? I think just liquidity dried up within that that part of the market. So you were seeing some pretty large uh, gaps in, in pricing there. Um, so um, if, if they weren't going to intervene, then um, there was some possibility that some of those defined benefit pension funds were going to close up shop, um, being uh, hit with a lot of margin calls uh, in terms of what they had had repoed out. Uh, but the un- underlying thing really here is if uh, central banks are tightening aggressively and you do have bonds being used as collateral in the global financial system, uh, then it may actually may limit the ability of central banks to undertake quantitative tightening. And so I think that is a story that may start to emerge, uh, particularly out of Europe, where you may have some pretty large fiscal needs coming up. And just in regards to that, Germany uh, announced that it would uh, drop plans to raise taxes. So very similar to the kind of stories that you're hearing in the UK. And it's also set to um, uh, put a cap on energy prices, which could uh, amount to about $200 billion, uh, sorry, 200 billion euros. Um, So that would be equivalent to about 5% of GDP. And that's also fairly equivalent to the uh, UK package that was announced here. So um, although a lot of focus has been on the UK and the UK finances, um, those that narrative is going to be felt within Europe itself, uh, just given the energy situation. So do you think they'll be going back to Go more, will they go from tightening to easing them? Will there be more QT? Uh, is that going to have to happen? Well, it just puts a little bit more of a doubt on the central bank's ability to undertake QT in that environment. Um, I'm not sure about QE, but the whole um, issue was definitely discussed at, at Jackson Hole. And, and, and indeed, Bank of England Governor Bailey really was uh, challenging this view is what does financial stability intervention look like when they're having to tighten monetary policy? Uh, because if you're doing um, asset purchases in a world that you're actually tightening monetary policy, um, it's very hard to get that message across in a coherent way. So um, I think this is going to be a bigger issue. And uh, that's the one reason why I don't think um, we have necessarily seen the last of it. Yeah. And doesn't it also mean, you know, that they have to put up interest rates more because it's going to be inflationary, isn't it? Which uh, And, and the, then that plays into, you know, the, the, the troubles that the consumer is facing. If we see interest rates going higher, then uh, their mortgages go higher. So we're sort of maybe subsidising the uh, the cost of energy for them on one side. This is actually something that was, you know, addressed a lot in those interviews that uh, Liz Truss was having on uh, all the BBC local radio stations uh, on on Thursday morning. A lot of people saying, well, you know, you might be helping us with uh, with fuel, but look what's happening. You you're going to be putting our mortgages up. Oh uh, yes, and that's the the, the hard. Bit of this, the more the government intervenes to support households, uh, the less of the demand destruction 
that would occur and that would help alleviate some of the inflation pressures out there. And I was looking at some reports out of Europe and it suggests that natural gas consumption is actually 20% above the average of the last few years. Um, So it doesn't necessarily look like uh, households in Germany or even households in the UK have paired back on the amount of uh, natural gas demand being used for, for, for heating. Right. So inflation's only going to get worse, it seems. Isn't it? I mean, I'm, around the world, bond yields are rising right across the curve. So that's showing uh, concern, presumably, that the the economic situation is is getting worse, not better, presumably. I mean, the, the, the Fed and all central banks, you know, it seems like every week we're going, oh, well, you know, I've actually got more work to do. I mean, is it getting like that, that, you know, that every week the situation is just getting worse? I guess the message on the inflation front suggests that things aren't getting better. And indeed, we got some European CPI data out uh, out overnight. Yeah. And German CPI was 10.9% year on year against uh, 10.2% expected. And just to put that into perspective, since uh, 1948, German inflation has exceeded 10% only briefly uh, in 1951. Um, so that just shows you how unprecedented the mm-hmm. rate of inflation is in, in Europe and mainly coming because of the energy situation stemming from Russia and Ukraine. So it'll be quite important to continue to watch developments, uh, what's going on there. Belgium uh, also recorded a CPI print above uh, 10%, 11.3%, um, though Spain did buck the trend a little bit with CPI being at 9.3% year on year against 10% expected. So um, the inflation narrative in Europe is still very much there. Um, the ECB will have to continue to hike rates. A few ECB speakers were out overnight, all arguing for a 75 basis point hike at the next meeting. Yeah. So, and of course, we get the inflation number, the European-wide uh, CPI numbers, don't we, tonight? And in Germany, they've uh, they managed to introduce a, a, a cap on energy prices. They actually got that through today, a 200 billion euro uh, stimulus to do that, which is about 5% of GDP. Uh, but hey, look, they managed to do that with absolutely no uh, meltdown in, in the economy or in the in the money markets. That's how you do it. You just don't introduce tax cuts for the wealthy at the same time. They probably costed it as well. So that might have helped. Oh, yes. Uh, Maven, also just the debt situation in Germany is uh, very different to the debt situation in other parts of, of Europe. Uh, the bigger test will come when other countries within Europe um, also uh, undertake similar fiscal packages and indeed the fiscal envelope for the whole of Europe. If Germany is capping energy bills and that's costing uh, 5% of GDP, uh, you add 5% of GDP to the financing costs of, or to the financing needs of every European country, you're looking at a a whole heap of new Mm. debt supply that that needs to be financed. So in the United States, I mean, it's obviously not a great day on the the stock market today, uh, particularly if you uh, hold shares in in Microsoft, goodness knows what's happening there. But uh, I mean, this is all down to presumably the fact that the Fed just keeps on talking it up. So we had James Bullard from the St. Louis Fed uh, saying, you know, he thinks financial markets have now got the message that they won't stop till they uh, till they have to. And Loretta Mester uh, was asked if they might compromise if the US goes into into recession, and she said no. They're going to do what they have to do uh, to get price stability. No compromise, clearly. Uh, so uh, so they, they they're carrying on, and I guess that's why. The, the, for whatever reason, the share market was up yesterday, but it's uh, it's back to reality. A reality check again today. Yeah, I think it's really four, four factors. So the first one is uh, no sign yet of inflation peaking and. Uh, and, and rolling over, and that was particularly out of the German CPI figures that we discussed uh, um, discussed earlier. Uh, the second one, as you noted, was the hawkish Fed rhetoric. Uh, the third one is, and uh, the mega tech stocks have been helping insulate the US stock market from larger falls, and so I think it's quite significant that Apple is down 6%, uh, and uh, a 
couple of days ago, Apple did warn its suppliers that it was going to be paring back its production um, because uh, orders for its new iPhone have come in a little bit lower. So it does look like tighter financing conditions, all the uncertainty around demand is starting to affect um, demand in the wider economy there. And that should start to hit earnings profile. So when you look at uh, valuation metrics uh, within the S&P They've also got rid of the guy who's responsible for procurement as well. Yep. Uh, he made some crude remarks, so that probably doesn't help. The guy oh, yeah. actually buying the stuff yep. doesn't work for them anymore. Uh, definitely. So but uh, when, when you look at S&P 500, it's pretty much broadly in line with average valuation me- metrics. But what hasn't really adjusted is the earnings outlooks and earnings profiles. So um, yeah. if you continue to get reports uh, like you are with Apple in terms of uh, production and orders coming in lower than expected, uh, then you could get uh, more of a uh, of a correction being seen within the equity market itself. Um, and then the uh, fourth reason is um, tied up with those big tech stocks, uh, retail investors. Um, every time uh, the US equity market had fallen, uh, retail investors had been buying the dip, particularly in the large tech stocks. And there are some signs that maybe that is starting to fade, uh, just given uh, rising and tighter financing conditions amongst the household right. sector in particular in the US. And the job market as well. So the jobless claims uh, last week down again. So more people working, you'd assume, 193,000 jobless claims last week compared to 209,000 the week before. And continuing claims that were expected to go up actually went down. So more signs of resilience. So even more work uh, for the Fed there. So that doesn't help either. So talking about jobs, uh, Australian job vacancies fell. That was a good sign yesterday, wasn't it? All those lots of jobs still around, obviously. So that's still, uh, well, great if you're looking for a job. But if you're a central bank wanting to see uh, some some weakness starting to emerge. That wasn't a good sign. No, so that headline job vacancies number did fall by 2.1% Q&Q, but two interesting stats here is that there is now one job vacancy per unemployed person in Australia. So the labour market is still incredibly tight. And just to put that into perspective, uh, that ratio of unemployed persons per job vacancy was at three just prior to the pandemic. So uh, quite an aggressive tightening that has been seen in the Australian labour market. So we don't really see the fall in job vacancies as really changing the story in terms of the labour market. The risks still continue that the unemployment rate uh, falls and remains lower for longer, and that increases pressure uh, for what Wages growth uh, in Australia. We also got um, the inaugural monthly CPI yes. print as well, and yeah. that showed well, isn't uh, that monthly- a step up? Actually, not having oh, to definitely. wait three months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Australia and New Zealand were one of the only two countries in the OECD that had quarterly inflation. So a big change for for Australia there. Um, just given it's new, it's very hard to interpret. But um, the way we've kind of uh, interpreted is, uh, it may suggest uh, that outside of fuel, uh, core inflation pressures are actually uh, lifting further. And uh, we think that's consistent with a core trim mean print of around 1.6% Q&Q, which would be a tenth higher than last quarter's 1.5. Uh, just given the fall in fuel prices, though, um, headline inflation is, could peak a little bit lower in Australia than initially feared. The RBA was expecting headline inflation to peak around 7.75% by the end of the year. Um, according to this kind of data, it may suggest that headline inflation may peak around 7.3% by the end of this year. Right. And uh, China's PMIs today, I don't know whether you want to add anything about that. I mean, we're, we're still expecting manufacturing to be in contraction, aren't we? But services doing OK. But uh, how much of the delay that we're seeing now in, in manufacturing in, in China is because of COVID? And how much is the, uh, the the currency weakness and the fact that, you know, get, in, importing raw materials is getting that much more expensive? I think a lot of it has to do with the zero COVID situation. Also, the situation within the property sector it, itself. Uh, there have been many attempts mm. of stimulus, but they're not gaining any traction just given uh, the zero COVID policy. Uh, Still unclear exactly when they start to 
pivot away. So encouraging signs, obviously, in Hong Kong in that respect. Um, President Xi, which has tied his second term in office towards the COVID fight, um, uh, goes for his third five-year term. I think it's on the 16th of October. So maybe we'll get a bit more clarity after the 16th of October in terms of uh, China's zero COVID policy. But um, forever long that policy remains, I think China and the Chinese outlook is likely to remain relatively weak. And another gas leak in the Baltic, that's four now, uh, emerged uh, overnight. And uh, Russia will officially annex those four eastern Ukrainian territories today, uh, where the vast majority of people apparently voted to say that they want to be Russian. So, uh, I mean, I suspect nothing will happen on that today. But, you know, once uh, the Ukrainians try to reclaim those territories, what will Russia's reaction be? That's going to be something to be uh, pretty scared about next week, I think. But anyway, we'll watch that. That's obviously simmering in the background. Good to talk, Tapas. Catch you again very soon. Have a great great weekend when we get around to it. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And there we are. That's how things are. Not that great, really, but that's how they are this Friday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'm back again uh, on Monday morning. I'll see you then. Have a great weekend.